We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Father, we continually want to come to give you praises, to acknowledge you and all of the many things that you do for us, the many things you provide for us. Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for this congregation, a group of dedicated believers that are here to, to worship and to serve you and to impact the nations with Jesus Christ. Father, it is my delight to, to open your word this morning. But as I studied this week, I was overwhelmed by the sadness of the loss of Elijah. Lord, I know there's a lot of people in this community hurting this morning. And so, God, we lift up that family to you this morning. Lord, what a precious young man he was. As Lord, you gave him the opportunity to coach and t-ball a little bit and pray with him. And, and I expected that he would be there next year. God, you had other plans. And he is safe in the arms of you where we as Christians desire to be. But God, with that comes great pain and hurt. God, as I drove to their house to visit, I couldn't help but notice the feet print in the snow. And the realization to come home and see that. God, I just pray that you give them grace and you give them mercy and you give them peace to know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you bring a group of people around them to comfort them, to, to show them the love of Jesus through this time of hurt and pain. This morning we pray for your word. I pray you fill me and you empower me as we look at the perseverance of the saints. As Christians, you call us to, to follow you, to obey your commandments, to love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, thy soul, and thy mind, and thy strength. And we pray this morning, Lord, that this message would not fall on deaf ears but that God in Your great mercy would open our eyes and our ears to hear and to illuminate the Word of God, that it might pierce our hearts and that it might transform us to be made more in the image of Christ so that when we see You face to face, God, we can hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, we love You and we thank You. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I titled this sermon this week, Understanding Our Faith Through Perseverance. We have now been going through the book of 2 Peter for the last few weeks. And two weeks ago, we, we spoke about, if you remember, a divine power that Jesus Christ brings about in our lives as Christians. Giving us everything we need pertaining to life into godliness. And if you remember, when we connect those two words together, it simply means a godly life. And so, I was encouraged by that message. 
To know that, that as a Christian, as a man of God, I have been given everything I need to be successful and to live a godly life. And to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And so, when my life is not bringing honor and it's not bringing glory to God, it's not because I have not been given the tools that I need to accomplish the task. It's because of maybe some other circumstance in my life that is preventing me from having the victorious Christian life. It could be some sin that I've committed in my life and maybe I've put it in the back of my mind and made it okay. I could be having a struggle in my life, a problem in my life that, that has began to overtake me, to over flood me, to drag me down, to distract me from fulfilling the victorious Christian life that Jesus Christ has with a divine power He's purchased for us to live out. It could be my lack of faith in an area of life. But the reality is, it could be a lot of things. But we must hold on to what we must trust and what we must believe in is that Jesus Christ, through His divine power, has made it possible for everyone that is a believer and follower of Jesus Christ to live godly lives because we've been given everything we need. That's what we looked at last week. We've been building an outline, so to speak, in this chapter. And so... Uh, I made some changes to it because the more information I get in the book, the more I can put the pieces together. And so this is what I have this week. We looked first at the salutation. And then we, we addressed the main topic was that avoiding false teachers by understanding faith. And three or four weeks ago, we looked at understanding faith through a person, that person being Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, we looked at understanding our faith through power and the divine power that Jesus Christ has given into us. And this week, we look at understanding our faith through the perseverance. And so, if you will, this morning, turn with me to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. Now, I'm going to go off track here for a moment because there's, there's a major theme that I want you to understand before you leave this morning. And that major theme is, is about perseverance. Now you may be asking, what in the world does perseverance mean? Well, we're going to look at that. But the perseverance of the saints is something that's biblical, it's something that's expected by us as Christians to follow through with. It's taught throughout the Bible, and simply perseverance means growth. Instead of increasing in the direction of ungodliness, it means increasing in the direction of godliness. Perseverance is not completed by you alone, understand that, but also includes God. But God, in His great sovereignty, in His great grace, in His great mercy, wants us and expects us to be a part of this process of growing as Christians. Wayne Grudem's definition of perseverance of the saint is defined as this, the doctrine that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that those only who persevere until the end have truly been born again. That's what the perseverance of the saints or Christians means. In 
some scriptures that we see throughout Scripture, like John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says, So Jesus, while He was saying to those Jews who had believed in Him, He says this, If you continue in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. He says in Matthew 10, 22, You will be hated by all because of My name. But this is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. There in Colossians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23, it reads, And although you were formerly alienated and hostiles in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet He has now reconciled you in the flesh, in His flesh, body through death in order to present you before Him holy and blameless and beyond above reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established in steadfastness and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and in earth, which I, Paul, was made a minister. The point that I'm trying to create is that we who claim to be Christians are called to walk in the faith and to grow into the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is no way that Paul, as he said this, could understand and see the hearts of all of the people that he was addressing. He didn't know, yes, they could say they're Christians, yes, they could have been baptized, yes, they could have been a part of the church, but the Bible says the wheat and the tare are mixed together. And Paul understands that in his understanding, he cannot read the man's heart. But he wants to make it clear that it is those whom over time fall away were never really of the faith. 1 John 2.19 says this, They went out from us because they were never really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But because they went out, so that it would be shown that they were never really of us. There is no greater test in the Christian's life than that of time. Too many times in our culture and in our day, we want to confirm people's salvations as if we know their hearts. We want to do that in the midst of them walking away from the church, showing no fruits, all because they've repeated a prayer. This chapter will encourage us as Christians to evaluate our lives as we come to claim ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus said you will know them by their fruits. Now, He didn't say this to condemn people. Now, I can understand how people could look at that and and find that in a condemning manner. But the reality is He didn't say it in a condemning manner to condemn people, but to encourage those who are followers of Jesus Christ to evaluate their lives because there is no greater evidence in the Christian's life than the fruit in which he bears. We would all agree that a tree that doesn't produce fruit is not a good tree. And sometimes we would even cut that tree down and plant another one. I look at it this way. If you were to take a picture of my life, starting from when I was a child up until tomorrow, 
and you were to take a snapshot of my life every time I made a mistake and you put it into a booklet, you'd say, Stuart lived a pretty bad life. But now you take that same illustration and you put a video camera there and you video my life from the beginning until now and you begin to see a process of growth. Yeah, I may not be a perfect man, but boy, I can tell you, God sure has convinced me that He's changed my heart because He's changed me and my lifestyles. And it's not a condemnation message, but a message of encouragement to know that we can be 100% sure that if we were to die today or Christ were to come back, that we could go to heaven. I would venture to say 95% of the time that I meet with people and I ask them that question, they're not 100% sure. Why? Why don't they, why don't, why can't you be 100% sure? If we're bearing fruit like Christ says, we should have the evidence of a believer, of a follower of Jesus Christ. Now let me clear up this understanding before you in your mind may be thinking I'm teaching something and I'm not. I don't believe that works saves people. This is not a message about a works-based salvation. James 2.18 says this, But some... One may well say, you have faith and I have works. But James says, you show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Perseverance is the process in which we can see God's saving grace in our lives, and therefore we can have confidence that we as individuals have been truly regenerated from the inside out. How do we know we're truly saved? How do we know that? How can we be bold and say, I believe 100% that I'm saved this morning? How can we do that? Well, perseverance begins the process in which we can evaluate our own lives. So with that in mind, let us look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses... 5 to 11. If you will, turn there with me this morning. Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. It says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgot his purification from his former sin. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling in choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into, into the external kingdom of God and of and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. The first point that I want to make this morning as we begin to look at this passage of Scripture, number one is that Christians should try their best to persevere. 
You know, let's just start right at the beginning. We're going to fail. Would you not all agree? We're not going to live a perfect life, right? I mean, it's obvious that we're not because He says there, if, if you lack these qualities, He's blind or short-sighted because He's forgotten about His purification. So therefore, don't misunderstand me this morning. You don't have to be perfect. Because you may have been purified, you may have been born again, but you may fall, you may struggle, you may not look at these qualities and say, I obtain them. And my objective is not to discourage you, but it's to encourage you. And so don't take this message that just because I fail, therefore I'm a Christian. No, we fail, but the question is, is what do we do when we fail? Do we stay down? Do we have a five to ten year lap of, of nothingness? Then maybe we should question. But when we sin and when we fail, and when we go to God and we ask for repentance, there's proof that we've got a changed heart. And so let us clear that up first thing. But the Christian, the believer, the follower of Jesus Christ, should try their best to persevere. Let us look at the first part of this verse. He says, For this very reason also, applying all diligent in your faith, supply moral excellence. Two questions that we need to ask of this text right off the bat. Two observations that, that as we read Scripture, we should make observation. Two observations that I made. Question number one, what does he mean when he says, for this very reason? What is he talking about? What very reason of what? Second question is, what does he mean by supply? What does he mean by supply? Now he says, for this very reason also. What does he mean? Well, he's looking backwards. We looked at it two weeks ago, if you remember. He's basically saying, for this very reason that you have been given, if you remember, the precious and magnificent promises. For this very reason that you have been given everything you need as a Christian to live a godly life. For this very reason that you are partakers of the divine nature of God. For these very reasons, you are to apply all diligence. Apply it. Because we are Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, we've gotten a special gift. We've been given a wonderful and godly gift that allows us to live godly. He says apply all diligence. What does he mean by the word apply? The, the Greek word there is paresfero. Okay, what does that mean, Stuart? That looks like Japanese. Well, you know, the, interesting, when we really look at the Greek and we understand what it means, it gives this expression that is used in trying to accomplish something. Not just apply it, but a desire to accomplish something. And it means to try your best at fulfilling this obligation. It, it, we should be demonstrating this progressive action of what? Applying it all with all diligence. And so while we believe in God that, that He is sovereign, that He's in control of every single minute thing in our lives, we also believe that God is a part in growing us and make us in, into a more mature Christian. 
Scripture teaches that, that we personally, individually need to have a striving for, a desire, a seeking after, a, a desire to do the things God has called us to do. Not to sit back and wait on God to change us. We need to try our best is what He's telling us here. Because we have been given what we need to be successful. Have you ever wondered why some Christians flourish? Oh, they are being used by God in magnificent ways. I mean, just read a couple books about our founding fathers, about the church fathers, and read some books about men of God in the past, and just see what God was doing through their lives. Have you ever wondered why some flourish, grow and produce fruit, and others seem just a plug along with very little change in their life? I sometimes wonder if it's because they don't try. If they don't try. They don't study. They don't memorize the Word of God. They don't even really read their Bible. They don't even really have a desire to go to church, maybe. They don't attend Sunday school. They don't pray. But yet they expect God to bless their lives. I read a post on Facebook this morning for Jason Hoods. And it says this, Why are you asking God to guide your steps if you're not willing to move your feet? Doesn't that make sense? It makes perfect sense. You see, we, we need to understand God desires us as individuals to strive and to work and to grow. And now we need to understand it's not in our own ability. Please don't leave here thinking Stuart thinks that he can just move mountains by himself by faithfully believing. No, God is in the midst of this. He's given us everything we need. Peter says here, apply. We are to make every effort. Pares ferro. To strive with all diligence. Listen to this passage again that we read this morning in Philippians 2, 12-13. So then, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence alone only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We are called to work out our salvation. Not to sit back and to be a bump on a log and wait for God to grow us. We need to develop some kind of spiritual disciplines in our life. God's not calling you to do it on your own. If we're going to be honest, it's more God than it is us. But being that we have been given all the tools that we need to do the job, God calls us to do it, to work. Peter is telling us to make an effort. Working out our salvation is not being saved, but it's bringing about honor to God for His will, for His glory, and for His purpose, for His good pleasure, to give us confidence that God has really changed us to new people. 
Not so we can brag and look at you and say, I'm much more spiritual than you are. That's what the Pharisees did. Whitewashed tombs. Clean on the outside, look good on the outside, but on the inside, rotten and dry bones. How can we apply these very principles to our lives? I mean, we're talking about it. Sounds good. At least it sounds good to me. But how can we apply it in our daily lives? I mean, it sounds good, but what can we do? Well, let's just think about it for a minute. And I thought about Lauren Rose and and how he's worked so hard and running marathons, him and his wife, and, and, and I couldn't help but think, let's just say that you were you wanted to run a marathon. Let's just say I wanted to run a marathon, as joke as that might be. Now, would I wait until just about the starting line as they line up here at the school to go out there and start running the race? How comical would that be? Because by the time I got to Pops, I'd be about to kill over. The reason that I would be about to kill over would be very obvious. And I believe that the reason so many Christians are living failed lives is just because, just like I didn't discipline myself to run the marathon, so many Christians aren't disciplining themselves to run the race for Jesus Christ. We just expect it's going to unfold before our very eyes. God gives an athlete everything he needs to become a professional player, but he has a responsibility in being trained and working hard to accomplish that goal. One Christian coach said this, My job as a coach is to make the players do the things that they don't want to do so that they can become all they want to be. And I want you to understand this morning as your pastor, as an elder of this church, I'm going to push you to do things you don't want to do. I'm going to teach you things you don't want to hear. Because I want you to become all you want to be. And that's godly lives that are bringing glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are some spiritual disciplines that you in your daily life can begin to work through? Well, let's start with the major. Jesus said, man must not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let's start with reading the Bible, right? I mean, we, we, we have access. i got like 15 of these in my office. What good do they do me if I don't use them? Let us begin to read the Word. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you can be careful to do all according to that what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. You see, the Word of God is to teach us, to train us, to encourage us and be the platform in which God can grow us into mature Christians. Reading the Bible for a Christian is like fish needing water. Without it, you will die. You will starve to death. Eat as much as you read your Bible and look at me next week and let's see how much weight you've lost. Or if you're even alive. 
You know, one of the things that, that, that I've tried to start doing in my own life is, is before I eat, I pray. If I don't pray, I don't eat. Because I realize the value in prayer. And I realize the value in reading the Word of God. We will die without the Word of God in our lives. Another major spiritual discipline. Listen, I'm not saying go pick up the Bible and read the whole thing in one week. Don't Listen, we need to set goals that we can accomplish. Right? I mean, if I'm going to run a marathon, I'm not going to go, alright, th- today I'm going to start practice, I'm going to run 10 miles. I would make it. But if I say, alright, I'm going to run from here to Pops. Hard. And I'm going to do that every day for a month. And then when I'm done for a month, I'm going to say, alright, I'm going to run to the bank as hard as I can. You see, I'm making small steps of progress. That's what we need to do in our daily lives in Scripture. We need to go, alright, I'm not going to read 10 hours today. I'm going to read 5 minutes. 5 minutes over the span of 7 days is a lot more than never, right? So let's start small. Let's start something that we can actually eat and digest instead of trying to eat the whole bacon cheeseburger in one sitting. So the other spiritual discipline that we can uh, consider putting into our life is prayer. You know, I'm, I'm going through my master's degree online and, and I've been reading a book on prayer and it's transformed my prayer life. Not because it's a divine book, but because it's made me aware through Scripture of the importance of prayer. You see, when we understand what prayer does in our lives, we don't have a problem doing it. We begin to see its importance. Because the reality is God can do more in a tiny fraction of a second than we can do in a lifetime. Right? I mean, it's God who changes the hearts of people, right? I can stand up here and preach and preach and preach and preach, but I can't change your heart. Only God can. So why would I fail not to pray for God to change your heart? Prayer is vital. It's important. As I read this book, I came up with a concluding thought. And this is, this is what I wrote on Facebook. I said this, There are no excuses for me not to pray daily. Because when I fail to pray, I choose to fail. Every day that prayer doesn't take place in my own life, I am walking in my own power, in my own strength. And it's only a matter of time before my body grows weary and weak and the flesh fails. Therefore, prayer is vital. Prayer is a non-negotiable in the Christian's life. And the spiritual discipline, spiritual discipline of prayer is one that needs to be mastered. When we see and understand that the Creator of heaven and earth desire us to pray and call us, calls us to trust in Him and not in our own ability, we then will begin to see that the Lord can accomplish more in 30 minutes than we can accomplish in 30 years of ministry. Jesus set the example for us to pray. The disciples prayed. King Asa prayed. All the the founding fathers prayed three and four hours a day. Scripture calls us to pray. And we need prayer. We need prayer in our own lives. Our families need prayer. 
Everybody needs prayer. Because when we pray, we humble ourselves before God and say, I can't do it, Lord, I'm going to trust in You. And when the things, the arrows start coming and the spiritual warfare starts welling up and when, when things in the church aren't looking good and people are upset and there's disunity, listen, I need to spend an extra hour in prayer every morning because I can't fix the problem, only God can. And we all need to be praying. And so we need to set some spiritual disciplines in our lives that would allow us to pray. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're called to pray in Scripture. Work on those two things and begin a spiritual discipline in your life. And watch how God begins to flourish you in your walk. And that will help you in your perseverance as a believer. So Peter says here, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith. The Greek word for diligence is spude. Spude. What does that mean? It means an earnest commitment. Not only are we called to, to work, we're called to do it with eagerness, with desire, with earnesty. Peter is telling us, try your best with eagerness, with the idea of urgency. So let me ask you personally this morning. Are you trying your best to live godly lives as Christians? Uh, can we hold each other accountable? If we see a brother doing something he's not supposed to, say, brother, that ain't going to work, man. Are we trying our hardest with diligence, with urgency, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. If you are this morning, I'm going to tell you, God will bless you and you will begin to grow and you will begin to make an impact in people's lives for the gospel of Christ. Now don't miss that we're called to do this in our faith. It says in number 5 here, verse 5, For now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith. It's only by faith that you can activate this kind of lifestyle. I've been meeting with a brother for a couple weeks. He's been struggling with the victorious Christian life. He said, I'm a believer. It wasn't 100% sure. Went over the gospel. It's like a light bulb went off. And he got it. He understood while he was struggling because he was trying in his own ability to maintain his salvation. And that day we went through the gospel and he prayed to receive Jesus Christ and he understood the gospel clearly. And now I truly believe that God is going to grow him into a man of God as now he has the faith in relying and to start applying all of these things he's fixing to tell us to do. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And that's why Scripture can expect us to persevere as Christians, to grow in our faith, because we have been given the Helper. And John says in John chapter 14, I'm going to send you a Helper, and He's going to teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. We have a Helper right here in us. 
He's tabernacled among us. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. We've been given the tools we need and we can have success as Christians in living Godly lives through the power of Jesus Christ and we need to strive for it. So we do this in our faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. The second point I want to make today is this. The Christians should try their best to pursue. They should try their best first to persevere. Second, pursue. And he starts here with moral excellence. It says, For this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. If you remember back in the beginning, I asked two questions. The second question that I ask is, what does he mean by supply? What does he mean by supply? And as I was studying this morning, this spoke to me. I didn't have this in my notes until I sat through this morning, so I, I did a little studying on it. And I was astounded by what the word supply meant in the original. It means to provide something in addition to what already exists. What already exists, guys? It's faith. So we are to provide something out of what we already what already exists in us, which is faith in Jesus Christ. And here he comes to the conclusion the first one is moral excellence. What does he mean by moral excellence? It simply means that we have the ability to do good toward other people. We need to develop the discipline of doing good to others. He says in your moral excellence, knowledge. Apply knowledge. Knowledge gives the idea of understanding or having discernment of God's will, knowing the difference between good and evil. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is it good or is it evil to talk about somebody behind their back? I'd say it's evil. We need to apply knowledge. Knowing the difference between good and evil. You see, when we are able to discern the difference in doing something good instead of something evil, we begin the process of perseverance. We begin to grow. God begins to bless. God begins to use. And then He says, and in your knowledge, self-control. You see, once a person understands the difference in the ability to discern between good and evil, we are called then to have self-control. You know, we did our family devotion time this week and I was telling my kids about self-control and what it means. And I told them it simply means being able to control your body. Being able to control your passions and your desires and therefore abstain from excess physical pleasure. 
part of our memory verse this week as we meet on Tuesday mornings to memorize Scripture together as men is Romans 13, 14. And it talks about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 and not making any provision for the flesh so that, so that it's not gratifying its own desires. We will be tempted to gratify our own personal desires by exchanging evil for good. The Scripture wants us to understand we need to have self-control. This deals with the tongue. This deals with, with our hands, what we touch, what we steal, what we desire in our hearts. This deals with what we look at, what we see with our eyes, and what we hear with our ears. He says in self-control, perseverance. You see how this is unfolding, guys? It's not until we come to self-control we begin the process of perseverance. This deals with our belief in God having the ability to endure, to grow. Perseverance, we've discussed it. And he says in your perseverance, godliness. You see, once we begin to grow in these stages that he lists we begin to see a life of godliness unfold. You know, as a new Christian, I didn't look very godly. I had junk that was enwrapped in my life that God, through the process of growing, had to remove from me. And when we begin through these stages as looking to these things, and we begin to grow in perseverance, we begin to see our life resembling godliness. You could say here that godliness is built on perseverance, it's built on self-control, it's built on knowledge, it's built on moral excellence. If you're struggling this morning with self-control, you're struggling with godliness. If you're struggling with knowledge, being able to discern the difference between good and evil, then you're struggling with godliness. If you're struggling with godliness, you're struggling with moral excellence. If you're struggling with moral excellence, then you're struggling to obtain godliness and you're fighting it. And then he continues, he says, in your godliness, brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness in the New Testament gives the idea of having affection between fellow believers. To have affection. To share, to love, to... To, to have a relationship with. We should be considerate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead of breaking them down, we should pick them up. We should be lifting our brothers and sisters up, praying for them diligently, knowing that we're all at different levels in our spirituality, but we should want to love and fellowship with each other as brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. Enjoy each other. Not fight with each other. And express the opposite of kindness, which is hatred, mistaken evil for good. This takes discipline. In every single one of our lives, we can grow in these areas. But when we start experiencing this, I want you to understand there's a joy that man cannot remove from your soul.
when you're experiencing godliness, you've been given a peace that no man, no situation can remove from you. Because you know without a shadow of doubt that you're being pleasing to your Father. And while the world may be crashing around you, there's joy that remains in that man that has, or that woman that has a spiritual disciplined life that's growing in their faith. He says, in your brotherly kindness, love. When you say love is the hardest thing for us to do as humans, to love one another, it doesn't say brotherly kindness and love and, and love them when they're nice to you. It's not, it's not, it's not built on circumstance. It's an admonishment to love. Jesus actually even says the opposite. Love your enemies. We're to love. Colossians 3.14 says, Beyond all of these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Listen, guys. If we as a church, I'm not talking about individuals, I'm talking about the body of Jesus Christ, wants to make an influence in this community, in nations, and we must have love for one another. And how my heart longs for unity. It comes from working with Jesus Christ through disciplines and acting on the ability that Christ has given us to accomplish this kind of Christian virtue. So the third point I want to make and final point today is the Christian should try his best to perceive. Should try his best to perceive. We need to become aware of these qualities and ask ourselves the question, are we doing them? You know, as a pastor, I could come give you an informational sermon, but I want to give you a transformational sermon. I want to give you something to work toward. Not to leave and to feel all good about it and, and everything stay the same. No, we need to perceive. We need to try our best to understand and to see and to be aware of these qualities that He's just listed and ask ourselves, are we doing them? And if we're not doing them, then what do we need to do? We need to begin to have spiritual disciplines in our lives. He says in verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this verse we see that, that there could be an increase. Which makes me think we can all grow, right? They could be increasing. Some may be brand new Christians and they're going, man, I don't do any of these things. That's okay. As long as we're increasing. As long as we're growing. Again, it's not a picture of every time you've done something wrong. It's a video camera of your life that should start here and grow. And when you get to the end, you should be higher than where you started. That don't mean in between you're not going to drop and go back up. But the consistency is growing in the faith. Growing in the faith. 
should be desiring to them to do these things and we should be increasing so that we can grow strong. And when we grow in these qualities, Scripture says we are not useless. You may only have one of these qualities in, in, in growing. You're not useless. You are valuable to the kingdom of God. You're not fruitless either. You're bearing fruit as a Christian. There's no one here that can say today that there's nothing they can do in this church. We should all be willing to step up and to serve in this church because we're not deemed useless or unfruitful. Everybody has a place to serve in this church. Because when we are living lives that are following Christ and growing in these Christian virtues, these areas of life, you're not deemed useful or unfruitful. I mean, God can use you wherever you are. You want somewhere to serve? Come on out tonight to game night. And help put together drinks and food. We had 35 people there last Sunday night. You want somewhere? There's places to serve. You want to serve? I can guarantee those ladies at Love and Hearts need your help. Go serve. You want to serve somewhere? Go ask a Sunday school teacher if you can just take prayer requests and write them down. And then email them to everybody in the class so during the week you people can pray for each other. You want to serve? Come Sunday morning. We'll put you to work. Come and talk to Jason. They need help back there. Same people every week over and over and over and over doing the same job, same job. You want to help? Let's help. Let's get in the game. You're not deemed useless or unfruitful. You can be used for service. But verse 9 is the negative aspect, the negative condition. He says... For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sin. We need to understand that we, as I explained to my kids, what purification meant. I explained to them dirty snow and how it's dirty and it's white, but it's dirty. But when we get a foot of snow, it becomes white again. We've been purified through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we are not following in these qualities, we are being short-sighted, forgetting that we have been purified through the works of Jesus Christ. We need to look through the lens of correction this morning and see our faults. It's okay to see our faults. It's healthy to see our faults. But we need to no longer desire to be blind by lacking these very things God has made possible for us to have victory over. So let us not forget where we come from and how we've made, been made right before God. 
We were all dead in our trespasses at once. We all started off in the coffin, if you remember that sermon. Let us not look like we're going back to the coffin. Let us move forward. Verse 10 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. He's challenging you and me this morning to make sure, to make sure about His calling in our lives. What He means there is to make sure we're truly saved. I meet people all the time who come in and say, I'm saved, Pastor. And the next thing you know, they're praying to receive Christ because they didn't understand the Gospel. It's a great thing when, you're, when you understand where you are. And he doesn't, t- he doesn't say these things to discourage you, but He lists these things prior to encourage you so that you could balance them against your life to see if you're growing. Because the fruit of a true Christian is perseverance, growth. When we begin to make steps of action, performing spiritual duties, spiritual disciplines, God will begin to change us. But we must feed on the Word. We must pray. We must be diligent. We must have perseverance. We must have self-control. We must have knowledge. We must have moral excellence. We must have brotherly kindness. We must have love. We must have all of these things in our lives calling us to do them so that God can grow us. And through that process, we can have confidence that God has truly changed our heart. He says, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Does that mean we're never going to fall, we're never going to sin? Is that what he's talking about? No. That's not what he means. Not in your flesh that you will never fail. Not that you will never struggle with things. But that no matter what, you will know without a shadow of a doubt Your salvation is secure. You will never stumble in trusting your faith in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 11, For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. For in this very way, being sure of your salvation, by perceiving that you are truly a child of God, seeing the evidence of a life filled with fruit and Christian characteristics, this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom, heaven, which is yours, which is of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And the glorious event, he says, will be abundantly supplied to you. It's not what you do that gets you there. It's the work that He has done in you that will get you there. But the work done in you will be shown through the work that you are doing as a Christian. Because we are saved by faith. 
But the faith, the faith that saves is never alone. So let us grow by trusting in our faith in Jesus Christ today. By setting spiritual disciplines before our very lives so that we can be used to glorify God. Let us pray.